The Holy Gospel according to Mark from the 13th chapter. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The Gospel of the Lord. We aren't exactly sure when this Gospel of Mark was written, but most Bible scholars place it somewhere near the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which happened in 70 CE. And if that's true, then the first people to read this gospel or to hear it proclaimed were people living in one of the most tumultuous eras of that first century. For Jews, the world around them was again falling apart. Instead of losing power over time, the Roman occupiers seemed to be gaining more and more control over everything. And when they finally destroyed the temple, as Jesus had imagined, it had to come as another devastating blow. Maybe that is why Mark chose to include that apocalyptic language that Jesus used in this part of his gospel. It's the same language that was used in the book of Daniel in Hebrew scripture, which was also written for Jews who were living in a time of hopelessness and despair under another despotic regime. And when I hear their story, I imagine that they too felt like the disciple of Jesus who gazed at the temple in this gospel reading today and said, look teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. It may have been simply an expression of awe at the magnificence of the temple, but I don't think so. I hear these remarks in the context of the great conflict that Jesus was having with the temple hierarchy and with all of the religious and the political leaders of the time like Herod who had expanded and built that temple really to honor himself. I think about it in the context of all of that conflict that Jesus was having with those who were so closely aligned with Rome. And then it helps me to imagine what that disciple might have meant. I may be wrong, but I think 
when he sees that massive structure and all of those stones, sometimes even 40 feet in length, one stone, he's saying, look what you are up against. Things like this are permanent, just like the power that built them, just like the violence and the injustice and the greed that still rule the day in spite of all that God has done to redeem us. But Jesus was not going to let them stay in that place of despair. Like the prophet of God who used strong language and imagery in Daniel, Jesus pulled back the curtain for these disciples to reveal something to them that was much bigger, which is what the word apocalypse actually means. Literally, it means revelation or the revealing of something, like in the last book of the New Testament. But what is Jesus revealing here? First of all, it is hard to miss that Jesus is revealing the depth of suffering and brokenness that exist in the world. Wars and rumors of wars, nation rising up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Hearing all of that, it's easy to see why apocalyptic language is often associated with fear. But that is never the intent of those who share it. Instead, apocalyptic language in Scripture is always language of hope. It is language that is meant to open the hearts and the minds of oppressed people to the possibility that God may be doing something new that they cannot see. And if we have any uncertainty about that, we can go to that last line of the gospel reading today when Jesus says that all of this suffering is really the beginning of the birth pangs. What a radical image that is for anyone who wonders if the pain and the suffering that they see around them or experience is really just the beginning of the end. Even today we may get that impression when we see what is happening in the world around us. But Jesus reframes everything when he connects pain and suffering here to the process of birthing that is underway. And as any woman knows who has given birth, once the birth pains start, there is no turning back. And in the end, I think this is what Jesus wants us to know about the coming reign of love and justice and peace. I think he wants us to see it as a child that is coming no matter what. In that light, I think the key question to ask in every time and place is, what is God birthing now that maybe I am failing to see? At a retreat that I attended earlier this year, a theologian named John Philip Newell posed the question for me in a memorable way when he said that we all should be asking, where do we see the water breaking? And I like that even better because in my mind it connects the process of birthing with the covenant of baptism. But in my experience, 
I find that it is always easier to see the water breaking when we look back at what God has done in the past, what God has birthed. In our spiritual tradition, we see, for example, the Protestant Reformation as a birth story of great significance for the church and for society. And in the history of our country, which seems to be constantly in the process of labor and delivery, we see birth stories like the abolitionist movement that led to the emancipation of slaves, or the women's suffrage movement that led to the cherished right to vote, or the civil rights movement that started us on a path towards racial justice. And as people of faith, we see God as the mother of all of those radical movements that brought forth new life in times when the birth pangs were almost too intense to bear. But where do we see the water breaking today? The birth pangs of the emerging movement which recognizes lesbian and gay and bisexual and transgender and queer people as fully created in God's image is still intense. Those birth pangs are still very intense. But for me, it is definitely one of those places where I see the water breaking in our country at this time and in our church. And within our own Lutheran church, even right here in Tacoma, I see the water breaking in the emergence of so many new worshiping communities that don't look anything like the traditional ones of the past. Communities like Rock City, where many of us worshiped last night, or Mission de Belen, where we will gather with Spanish-speaking people in December for Las Posadas, and the new congregation that's starting at the Women's Correctional Facility in Purdy, or the new dance church of our synod called Fear No Evil, which features a form of street dance called crumping out of Compton, California, where people fight off the power of evil through dance. If you had told me even a few years ago that all of these would be sister congregations of our Evangelical Lutheran Church, Southwestern Washington Synod, I would have thought that you were being overly hopeful or unrealistic. But God is birthing each one of those communities right now in ways that are bringing new life to all of us. And even in that, of course, there are birth pangs, which are very real. As all mothers know, birth doesn't come without stretching, and we are being stretched as a church, as Jesus Christ here and around the world. We're being stretched more and more by the change that must occur in order for us to be a part of what God is still doing in the world in new ways. And what is true for the church is also true for us. At the same retreat that I mentioned, John Philip Newell challenged each one of us to ask, what is God trying to birth within me that requires perhaps a radical reorientation of my life? And I found that question both challenging and helpful, and so I share it also with you today.
you may have come with a heavy heart, especially if you follow the constant stream of news which reveals the depth of suffering and brokenness and injustice in God's world. You may have come here like the disciple of Jesus who thought that money and power and privilege will just always have the last word, no matter what we or anyone else does to confront them. You may have come here with personal struggles that just seem insurmountable right now, or with a voice within you that says, is this the way it will always be? Is this the way it will end? You may have come with a spirit of complacency that is being challenged in some ways as you hear this gospel, or with a desire to protect and and, uh, keep, preserve your life as it is right now without change. Whatever the case, the gospel we just heard reveals a divine mother who is in labor right now in this world, in this country, in this church, in the body of Christ, and in us, in our body, within you and within me. One wise reader of this text said there are three ways that we can respond to that. The first is just to deny that it's happening. The second is to fight against it, even though it is inevitable, and even though there is no turning back. And the third is to do what every mother in labor finally does, which is to endure the birth pangs, no matter how severe, because she knows that new life is on the way. I don't have to tell you which one of those three is best. In our heart of hearts, we all know. We know because the motherly love of God exists at the deepest level of who we are as people created in God's image. And the regenerating power of God lives there too, ready to be engaged by all who are here to share in the inevitable coming of God's kingdom among us. Thanks be to God. Amen.